Greetings, family, and welcome to The Journey Continues, the Cities United podcast. My name is Anthony Smith, and I'll be your host each month as we take this journey together to reimagine public safety. Cities United is a national network that supports mayors, community leaders, and young leaders from all across the country who are committed to creating safe, healthy, and hopeful communities for young black men and boys and their families. On each episode, you will hear from key stakeholders from throughout our network who will help us examine the issues that impact young black men and boys' lives, while also helping us identify key solutions and best practices that will help us reimagine public safety and truly create spaces that are safe, healthy, and hopeful for all. Good, so thank y'all for tuning in this month. Uh, We are with Representative Charles Booker, uh, a leader not only in Louisville, Kentucky, but a national leader. Really excited to have this conversation with you uh, thank you for making time to be with us. Uh, can you really tell us a little bit about who you are and what keeps you grounded? Absolutely, and thank you for having me, my brother. You know, I, I'm so grateful for your example, your leadership, the work at Cities United, and uh, I'm I'm in this fight too. And honestly, some of the stories that you and I've had over the years, um, I still really keep close to me. You know, growing up in the West End and seeing a lot of struggles, a lot of trauma, uh, really shape who I am. And so for folks that haven't really connected with me, I'll just take it back from there. I'm, I'm Charles Booker. I'm from the West End of Louisville, 35th and Market. Uh, I call myself a good troublemaker. I come from a really big family and I learned community early on. You know, because when you one of like 70 grandkids, you got to organize, you know, you got to share everything. You can't, it, can't, it ain't going to just go your way, you know, and uh, as much as that sort of stressed me out when I was little, I appreciate it because it it made me uh, see the world outside of only what I wanted. It, it forced me to understand how to communicate. Uh, and uh, my granddad, you know, my hero, he's he's a very militaristic. You know, he came from Mississippi, saw saw the height of Jim Crow. Uh, you know, it's, his his parents, uh, my grandparents, uh, went through slavery, and and he really taught us what it means to to fight for what you believe in, to take care of family, um, and to persevere, to overcome, you know? And so I, I, I used a lot of those lessons in my faith, both my parents and ministers, um, to really figure out how I can be about this generational, this structural change that I believe we need. And what, what grounds me in the work, what really convicts me, my why in all of this is Honestly, my mom, first of all, you know, my super hero, you know, she went without eating to feed me. You know, I'm a type one diabetic. I've told you about that. And, you know, she was working multiple jobs to help make sure I could stay alive, you know, and so I owe her and I want to honor her. But then the last five years, going back to 2016, I've had cousins murdered each year. Um, And a lot of that, even with TJ, uh, going back, I still keep the dog tag in my pocket from um, was why I wanted to connect with Cities United and why, you know, we were connected before that um, because I saw all of these things happening before the trigger was pulled mm-hmm. and took my family away and how we have to address all of these other deep structural issues if we want our communities to heal. And um, that's why I do what I do. And now I got two girls and I want the future to be ready for their brilliance, you know? And so, so I, I, there is no stopping me. 
No, I appreciate that. And, that, you know, those family ties and connections are deep, right? When you talk about having 70 cousins that you had to maneuver with, to be seen with, right? They can only imagine, but then also to then lose some of those cousins to, to, the, to the streets that you know, that structural violence that creates this environment where they are in danger that way. But then also, you know, the grounding it as you said with your mom and, and, your, and, your, and your grandfather, and then just your kids that you have that you're taking care of. I think all of that, I think people forget how personal this is and how connected, yeah. uh, especially black folks are when we're doing this work and when we're in this work and that we just don't show up because it's uh, it's uh, the sexy thing to do, but this is actually about our families, right? It's yeah, it's life. Right. And I think that's the deep part and I appreciate that. Uh, and, and we think about this work, right? There's multiple ways to engage in it and there's multiple things to do from organizing to running for office, to running a nonprofit, to being in nonprofits. What made you choose elected office as the way to do this work? Yeah, so my <laughs> wife asked me that same question. <laughs> Man, but, but what you said is so true, but like in, in the movement of what we're trying to push for, which is ultimately we're, we're trying to pull up the roots of racism. You know, we're trying to push for liberation where we can all be free and pursue our dreams. We can all be safe. We can all um, have the ability to take care of our loved ones, keep our lights on and put food on the table, um, have ownership and create wealth in our communities. We're trying to do all of that work. And it requires us to cover the spectrum. You know, we, we have to put on a full court press. We got to be in every room. We got to be in every arena. We have to organize, create an agenda. We have to advocate for it. Then we got to legislate to make it happen. Then we gotta implement it, and then we gotta make hold accountable uh, accountability on it, and measure it, and track it, and come back and do it all. And so, uh, I stumbled into politics. To be honest with you, my family doesn't come from this stuff, man. Like both my parents dropped out of high school. Uh, my grandma did. Like, and all of us in the West End, we didn't really leave the West End. And even to this day, like some of my aunts, like they, if I tried to get them out out of West End across town. They get lost, you know, and uh, but it was one of those things where I saw, you know, my friends being arrested. I got, you know, folks that are serving life. Um, I told you about, you know, my cousins. But even when I was little, I always wanted to speak up for things that I saw that were being done wrong or for folks that weren't getting listened to. And so I was told all throughout my childhood, you should be an attorney. You know, because you, first of all, you never shut up. And two, you always, you always arguing to defend folks. So you should be an attorney. And, um, you know, that was sort of the route I figured I would go. I started getting involved in the community, which all of this is about community, mm -hmm. um, to try to figure out how I can be an advocate, like just studying and understand how I can speak up for my community um, so that we can have the things that when I was bused across town that my, my classmates had. You know, and then Louisville was a very segregated city. Uh, when I went to law school and I started seeking out mentors because I was the first in my family to go to law school, I stumbled into policy making. Mm. And I, I found mentors that were also legislators because a lot of them are attorneys. And that was my introduction to, to government completely. I had no expectation of it. And when I walked into those rooms, especially in the state capitol, and I'm looking at all of these older white men and they talking about issues like the gang bill uh, mm -hmm. we've talked about. And they were talking about me, but they didn't see me. Right. 
I felt a conviction. Like I need to be in here making the laws. Cause if I just argue them, if I just, you know, become an attorney, argue for civil rights, if the laws are not just, am I doing everything I can? And so for me, because of, you know, my ability to, to never shut up, as you can see now, and and my conviction, you know, I I wanted to be in those spaces where decisions are made. And so um, I've worked in every level of government. And it was because I wanted to make sure that the community, that our people represented. Yeah, and that's such an interesting part, right? Stumbling into it, right? And I think that's where we do, uh, a lot of us, I know I stumbled into the work that I'm in, right? It's just, yeah. didn't know it existed until I knew it existed. Right. Uh, and as you think about the work and as you think about all that you have done, I'm, I wanna go back in a little bit to talk about, you know, your first race to your last historic race. Uh, uh, when, you, when you think about the pipeline, how do we shift that, right? So folks are not stumbling into it, but that we're clear that we need young people, especially young black people, men and women, uh, leading this work and going into elected offices. What, how, do, how, do we, how do we build that? You know, one of the biggest things, which is why we have to see gun violence as a public health issue, is we have to see the whole universe of why, why trauma happens, why inequity exists. And a lot of it is we're blocked out of even knowing these things exist. You know, we, we're not in the rooms in a lot of cases where the decisions are made. And, you know, when you're in the struggle, like, you may not even know what's happening to you. I'm in, in the legislature and I'm seeing bills being debated that the people don't know anything about and it's gonna change their life and they don't have a clue about it. And so education and, and creating those pathways for those of us that, that figure out how to get in is critical because we need system level change. So it can't just be, okay, Charles figured it out, good for him. No, man, we gotta make sure that we kicking that door in. And I tell a lot of my, you know, uh, organizing folks, activist folks that don't have trust in government. Like, first of all, you're right. Right. Don't trust government. But that's also why we got to be in those spaces. And to me, we're tearing walls down. I'm in there trying to loosen the boats while, you know, our, our folks that are in the communities are beating on the walls and, and tearing at the mortar, you know. And so one of the things I, why I launched Hood to the Hollow, for instance, is to do this work of helping more people from marginalized communities, from the forgotten places, as I call it, um, to be able to know um, that poverty is a policy choice, mm. to be able to understand that the violence um, is not about a moral failing or deficiency. There are a set of uh, decisions, both policy, programmatic, and budgetary, that shape environments that allow these types of pain and trauma to manifest into violence. And, and when you talk about the cause and effect, and then when you help to build folks' capacity, um, we don't have a lot of money in the hood, but we have a lot of people power. And once we learn the power of organizing, activate that power, we can, we can build our own agenda. And some of that is just helping to show folks what is there. Uh, and so we're doing leadership training we're actually doing a political training for folks who want to run for office wow. um, all across Kentucky. Folks that have no experience, all the way to folks in office now. And part of doing that work is just really being intentional. We got to know, we can't just assume people will figure out how to get in these spaces. Yeah, can you, uh, you, 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 you uh, talk through uh, from Hood to the Hollers, uh, 
Can you give folks a little bit more background on why you started that? Why? And I, you, you talked a little bit about it here, but really give them the understanding of who you're connecting, right? And, and why you're connecting those folks and what does that mean for Kentucky and what it could mean for the country if we if we understood uh, the connections there. Yeah, I'll start, I'll even start nationally. Um, Hood to the Holler to me is the new Southern strategy. Mm. This is a way that we can redefine politics in a way that builds coalitions instead of drives wedges and keeps folks separated and divided. Um, and, you know, the foundation of our country is really rooted in racism and white supremacy. And how do you unpack that? Um, well, for me, it is natural to see the power of family because of my big family. Right. And leaning into these values of common bonds so that we can see one another across divides of race, class, geography, what have you, um, so that when we're fighting for uh, issues addressing you know, gun violence or, uh, or voting rights, that that's not just a black person's issue, that it affects everybody. How do we communicate on these things differently? So Hood to the Holler really started as a rallying cry from our Senate run. Um, I, it was a declaration of saying that there are so many things in common with folks living in the hood, right. folks living in like rural areas like Appalachia, uh, in, where in the hollers, where if you've, if you've never been to a holler, it's essentially like the hood for white people. Like it's, a, it, I mean, it, it's it's like a, it's like a neighborhood where I mean the scenery is pretty because they got mountains in the back. Right, right. Um, but they don't have infrastructure. You know, it's it's a lot of poverty. Uh, there's not sustainable housing. Um, folks are battling all different types of issues, drug addiction, all, all these different things. And you know, when I went, I was like, man, y'all living a lot of the same things that we see. Right. You know, in the West End, and but because of racism and because our political leadership exploits it, it's almost as if we've been on different planets. And so I wanted to tell the story about how this coalition can be so powerful. And, um, you know, since the campaign, we wanted to keep that work going. And so we've been training people on how to see our common bonds and talk about issues from a standpoint of how we can fight together and just listening to folks. You go to the hood, you go to, uh, you know, rural parts of Kentucky, uh, you in, in the hollers, you listen to folks, you'll find out we have so much in common and we can build from that. And that's what Hood to the Hollers really focused on doing. Nah, I think that's dope. And I think that to your point, it is a national movement because again, if you look at states, that's the, that's the makeup of states, right? You got the urban and you got the rural and it's right. always been divided. And, and I think folks, even in Kentucky forget Black folks are in both and white folks are in both. That's right. That's <laughs> and right. If you can build those bonds and then you can really move an agenda uh, that's bigger than uh, the current set that we have. Uh, yeah. You talked about your Senate race. Can you talk to me a little bit about why? Because you, you 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 don't take on small runs, right? You, your first race was against one of your mentors. Yeah. Uh, uh, so can you talk about what made you decide to run your first race? And then what made you decide to run this Senate race against Amy McGrath to then hopefully run against Mitch McConnell, right? So, you know, again, nothing small, but you go big when you go. What made those happen? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I was taught growing up that uh, if you have faith, even the size of a mustard seed, you can speak to a mountain that has to move, you know, that we're more than conquerors. And, and so I've never been afraid of a challenge. And um, I think that's my granddad in me too. I, I sort of run through the challenges. Um, the, the thing that made me run 
for state senate uh, against a person I love deeply, uh, one of my mentors, um, and even for U.S. Senate, it was really survival. Mm. So, I mean, that's that's like the common thing for me. Um, it's it's feeling a sense of urgency for the changes I believe we need, and and also seeing the opportunity for us to build the types of coalitions that are that are there. Folks want things to change. We want better. It's not like we are comfortable. Mm. with poverty. It's not like we're okay with our loved ones being gunned down all the time. And and so seeing that and realizing that there's an opportunity to build there, um, I knew I had the ability to tell the story. You know, I come from a line of storytellers and, and I understood how powerful policy making could be. So, um, you know, I, I stepped out on faith to, to say that if I show, showed everyone personally what it could look like for somebody that comes from nothing to speak the truth and to be my authentic self and to show up with love and to, and to meet, sit down with folks to listen because nobody ever listens to us, that we can build this big coalition of folks. We can inspire folks to do things different. And um, I didn't win that first race, but I woke a lot of people up mm-hmm. to saying, that, wait a minute, maybe we should do things different. Maybe we should, we should talk to people we don't normally talk to. Um, places that don't typically vote. And that's a, that's a good reason people uh, have given up on the democratic process. Like, well, what's the point? You know, and when I ran for U.S. Senate, um, it was a decision that I had to make. Uh, I was in the state house. Uh, I was up for re-election. If I ran, I probably would have been unopposed uh, because I built up a lot of support. You know, I had bipartisan legislation passed. I was working with teachers. Uh, we, I mean, we were building some really good momentum. But the truth of the matter is here in Kentucky, every single issue we face, top to bottom, if you look at the problems in those issues, you see our federal leadership mm-hmm. manipulating. And particularly, you see Mitch McConnell. Now, we ain't got to get into the partisan stuff here, <laughs> but that's just a fact of the matter. And so if I see that there's someone orchestrating this inequity and, and sort of profiting off my pain, then let's get that person out of the way so we can do the work. That's why I did it. And and I just knew, I knew the power of people. Um, I didn't have a lot of money, but I knew money doesn't compare to people when they're fired up and they organize. And uh, I'm just grateful that we were able to show the world what it can look like and, and we ain't done. I love that. And I, and I think the ideal of, you know, the work that we do and the reason you run is around survival, right? It ain't just our survival, it's the survival of our people and we know yeah. it really. Uh, and I, and I, you know, and I think that resonates to your point with a lot of people, right? No matter black or white, poor, you know, uh, are living in the hood or living in the hollow, right? And you want to survive and you want to be able, not just to survive, you want to get to a place where you can thrive, right? So how does that look and how do you build that out? Uh, so let's think about if you get your work right, what would the world look like for your children and my grandchildren? What if you get this right? What does it look like, man? If if we do everything that we know we can do, um, my children, especially this new one, little one coming into the world, uh, uh, will be reading about poverty and studying it instead of living it. Mm. You know, it it'll be a thing of the past. Um, we'll be able to talk about what racism meant to our country instead of worrying about it when we walk out the door or when we're driving and see an officer uh, behind us. We'll see something different, you know, but but even deeper than that, um, 
democracy will mean something. Justice would mean something because we are making it happen. We're in the positions of leadership at the local, state, federal level, boards, commissions, organizations, business. We're generating wealth in our communities. And when I say we, I'm talking about the big we, all of us, because in a place like Kentucky, the majority of folks are struggling, you know, uh, regardless of race or where you're from. And that's really the message of Hood to the Holler, that we can do those things because of our power collectively. And, um, you know, I, I believe that we can transform our future. So I'm fighting for it. No, I love that. And speaking of reading, right, uh, we know that you are in the process of writing a book. Uh, yeah. That folks are going to be able to read soon. So what are, uh, give me some tips that you would say to young folks who are thinking about getting into this work and especially thinking about running, right? I love the idea of not running from, but running to. But what would you say to these young folks who are listening, uh, who are thinking about how to be engaged in this work? Uh, what's the message to them? You know, the, the message that I always share with folks is what you deserve to be in these spaces. Um, government belongs to you. Um, your voice and your life matters and you deserve to lead however that looks. You know, it's not that everyone um, has to be in elected office, but we also know that we deserve to be um, and, and that we have the right should we choose to go down that path. What I would tell young folks is find your why. Find what drives you and commit to working around that. And, and, un, and commit to seeing the universe of things that affect what drives you. And if you do that, you will you will find yourself in politics. You will, because this stuff shapes everything, <laughs> like laws and, and, and ordinances. That, I mean, they shape everything we do. And so at some point, you're going to find yourself bumping up into that. And, and then, you know, it's a matter of figuring out how you want to engage it. But um, I don't have to be in elected office. Um, I don't have to be in any particular role. What I have to do is be about the work of helping my community heal and speaking up for folks that don't get heard because I believe that's my purpose. And when you find what drives you, the rest of it will just fall right into place. Yeah, that's dope. Uh, like that. Uh, last question before we wrap up, right, is uh, it's really around just what keeps you going and what gives you hope, what, what gets you up in the every morning and keeps you going. Man, the people, the people. And um, I'm trying, I, I'm such a cheerleader and champion for Kentucky um, because nationally, a lot of people count us out, man. A, a lot of people really dismiss um, what's possible in places like Kentucky. Hmm. And when I see, you know, folks on the ground that aren't quitting because of that, that are not sweating it, they doing what they need to do whether it's, you know, creating a farmer's market, helping to get people healthy food, you know, helping to restore homes, trying to buy up homes so that they can uh, make sure that more folks in uh, underserved, marginalized communities can have ownership. Um, I mean, when, when they're marching in the streets mm. for justice after it has failed us over and over again, and they ain't stopping, that gives me hope. I mean, as long as we don't quit, we don't win. Yeah. And as long as we work together, we unstoppable. And um, I, I'm, I'm proud of us. I'm proud of what we did in my run for U.S. Senate. I'm proud of what we're doing now. Hood to the Holler has over 10,000 volunteers in Kentucky. And, you know, we've been organizing around Brianna's Law 
a bill to ban no-knock warrants. We've had folks from every county in the Commonwealth, 120 counties, take action to say that we all deserve to be safe in our homes because when Brianna's door was kicked in, our door was kicked in too. As you may have heard that door close behind me. <laughs> I don't that, that, that gives me hope, man. I, and, and that's why I'm still fighting for it. Now, no, I appreciate that. And thank you for making sure we did not leave this without bringing, uh, talking about Brianna and the fight for justice there. So I appreciate yeah. it. Uh, really, man, I want to thank you for your time. Thank you for your leadership, Representative Booker, and all that you do and all that you will do. Uh, we know that this is not, uh, you know, we're not, we're not even halfway done. Uh, there's a lot more to come. Uh, so we just appreciate your leadership, bro, and all that you have and all that you offer uh, and, and your sacrifice and, and your family sacrifice, man. So appreciate you for sharing your story uh, so that others can be seen as well. So thank you for your time, man. Thank you for, for what you do, man. You you help make it possible for people like me to, to believe that we can do more and be more and that things can change. So I'm on your shoulders. And uh yeah, stay tuned, man. I, I I got some more announcements to share, especially regarding 22. So I, I'll definitely yeah. come back for you. We can talk about that too in the future. We would love to, man. I'd love to have you do that with some young people, man. When we when you oh, make yeah. they, they would love to hear that and be a part of that. Let's uh, make it happen. Let's keep making history, bro. Appreciate you, man. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Journey Continues. I want to give a special thank you to our guests for joining us and sharing their wisdom and their knowledge. Join us every month as we elevate new voices, strategies, and resources to help us reimagine public safety and move us closer to our vision to create safe, healthy, and hopeful communities for all young black men and boys and their families. I want to give a special shout out to our sponsor, Levi Strauss & Company. As a global iconic leader, Levi Strauss & Company knows that what they do and say matter. That's why they have pledged to support gun violence prevention efforts by providing grants to nonprofits who are working to end gun violence across the country. By elevating the stories of grassroots organizations who are successfully implementing violence prevention strategies in their communities and funding nonprofits who use digital tools and platforms to empower and lift up the voices of youth activists, Levi's believe that we can counter the gun violence epidemic in this country and make communities around this nation safer. To learn more about their goals, please visit their website at levistrauss.com. That's L-E-V-I-S-T-R-A-U-S-S.com. We look forward to continuing this journey with you. Peace. See you next month.